Welcome back, Dodecadorks. We're the 12 sided guys. We have Matt as nearly dead Pine. Hi, oh! Scott as newly cursed Roos. What did I do? What did you do? Sabrina as feeling fine Nari. Uh, hey there? Jordan as the strong but squishy Richter. Goodbye, I mean, good evening. <laughs> <laughs> and me, Paul, as the final form, Iremil. The final countdown. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Illusions. They're illusions. <laughs> Sorry, whenever I hear that song, that's what pops into my head. Uh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> I picture Buster dancing in the back with the sword. <laughs> 116 episodes, and it comes down to this. Nari and the boys have learned this cruel angel's thesis and have found it lacking. Now, the final battle for Pavantis will be decided right here in this, our ultimate episode of the Crystal Codex campaign. If you've enjoyed the campaign this far, you can show us some love on Patreon and with your ratings and reviews. Come join us on Discord and hang out on Twitch or YouTube as well. And our shop is open for business. And of course, stick around for what's next, a mini campaign followed by campaign two. Anyway, if you were happy when the sick bug catching kid was finally able to get out of bed, then this podcast is for you. It's the final episode of the Crystal Codex, episode 116. catching kid i love how the yeah. bee is just floating right above his head and he can't get it because he's been so sick and his muscles have atrophied <laughs> thanks matt he's hopping he's trying to get it but he doesn't got the spin down like link yeah pesky bee the sky above almar flashes and flares though the sounds of battle have died out two hours previous as suddenly as they had begun the rips and tears in reality ceased. After the chaos and noise from the appearing angels, this silence that hung in the air felt oppressive and suffocating. Over the course of those two hours, nothing changed as the city of Almar held its breath before suddenly the sky began to flare with light as hundreds of feet in the air, scenes began to play out for the entire city to witness. As the angels might circles over Almar in a holding pattern, Captain Sanya Pine watches helplessly as the scene in the sky shows her father, Temrid Pine Sr., being dealt a devastating blow from one of the twin angels. No, she calls out as his body falls limply to the ground. Gripping her sword hilt with one hand and the gunnel with the other, she closes her eyes, forcing a tear from between her eyelids as she whispers a silent prayer for her father. When she opens them again, it is just in time to see him rise from the ground and slash out at the angel with the fury of a swordmaster. Kira watches the scene playing out against the clouds with a steady expression, but inside her is turmoil. The two most important people in her life dance among the clouds as they do battle with the twin angels. Nari's acts as a blur as it connects again and again with the angel's unflinching flesh, whilst Roos himself is a blur, Kira's eyes unable to tell which of the five figures is actually him. Please come back to me, both of you, she whispers to her brother and her love. From the roof of a massive estate disguised as a block of slums, Bartaz watches the battle rage in the sky. The swordsman Richter moves with force and grace, sword in hand and energy crackling around him. Bartaz can tell Richter's wounded, but still fighting fiercely. 
strange, simultaneously two competing emotions overcome the senses of this battle-hardened former adjudicator. Fear and hope, both long since foreign to him, swell up in his chest as he finds himself whispering reluctantly, survive, you have to survive. Slumped on a stool in the deserted plaza of Smitty's Bazaar, Gerard's exhausted hand scratches deep into the thick fur of Porthos as they watch the sky together. My friends, Gerard mutters as he watches Pine quickly swig a potion that keeps him in the fight just a little longer. A tear comes to his eye as he realizes he probably sold him that potion. I'm glad I could do my part, Gerard says to Porthos, scratching him a little more aggressively as the woolly ox's eyes stare up, chewing away on his eternal cud. Of course, we got the potion from uh, from Gerard. He's cornered the market. He's got <laughs> a straight right. up monopoly. Uh, <laughs> he and all the other versions of him. <laughs> yeah, our number one customer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all over the city of Almar, people watch rapt as the sky displays the conflict deep beneath the surface. The statue of Iremil, now headless, floats askew in front of these sky scenes over the tower in the bay. Some kneel in prayer, some cry, some cheer. Tigish watches from a makeshift infirmary, his arm bandaged from the nasty cut he took keeping the cultists from storming the tower. His smile at watching Roos expertly move around the battlefield falters to a concerned frown as Roos grasps the red and black sword from betwixt the ribs of the second angel. Nicolette St. Clair watches from windows of the high house, her chair moved to provide a better vantage, her cheeks stained with tears. Daffodil stands proud and tall at the wheel of the Allele Eagle, her hat held over her heart, or where it would be as she watches her friends fight for their lives, while Sydney and Jasper look on enthralled from where they had been making hasty repairs to the ship, their work postponed as they too watch the battle for Pavantis rage in the sky. Matt, Scott, Sabrina, and Jordan, what do you think at this moment the JV squad and the Snow Patrol would be doing as they watch the sky? So I think that um, it's been two hours since the event now on the shoulders of the and in the chest and head of the Zord. So they've had a chance to mechanically take a short rest. I think that Tikris and Artis both would have been anxious to get back to the tower after wherever they retreated to to rest. Um to to try to get in there and to back up uh Inari and the boys. So they would be probably standing outside of the causeway, unable to progress because of the lights. Yes, the uh, the red lights that were shut off for a short time, but are now glowing again, protecting the tower from entry. I think that artists would be stoically looking on at the sky, um, almost like a, a matter of fact, it is what it is type uh, feeling as he's... Uh, um, scritching behind Captain Ginger Snap's ears. And I think that uh, Tigris would be he's pretty he's a pretty jovial guy. Uh he would be anxious to get in there as well, but he'd be cheering on Nari, uh his little sister. Cool. I think uh Yastin is probably not far from Tigris, um but I would imagine he maybe had crawled up to a rooftop or something like that to see if he could get a better vantage point. Um, you know, he's, he's not as, as stoic, um, as, as Tikris, but he's definitely focused on this fight. Um, meanwhile, Bert over where Artis is, I think he's sitting on the ground slumped. Um, he probably has several bandages 
around him, like on his arms, maybe wrapped around his head. And his face is streaked with tears from the loss of Ember. And he would have been kind of in a daze, staring off into nothingness, except for the scene that's playing out over his head. And so now he sits there and stares up at the sky um, with just rapt concern on his face, weary from all of the all of the fighting, from all of the strain that he's feeling. I forgot to mention as well that artists would have cut a small lock of Ember's hair as they were wrapping the body or preparing it for whatever comes next. But he would have a, a small lock of her hair tied with, you know, just some string that he'd be kind of fiddling with as well. Darden would have followed Yastin, and uh, he's going to be looking for anybody that might need medical aid or, or some sort of assistance, um, and also salvaging any sort of metal or materials that he can to start building a new companion. Oh, I was going to say, is he accompanied by a rabbit anvil with a mark, <laughs> with a mark six like etched on its side or something? <laughs> no, he's got to rebuild it, and that takes some time. But he is, he is sad that he lost his... Uh, his friendly little long-eared snow leopard, I think is what we called it. So I think Adressa, even after a short rest, is still feeling pretty bad. Um, and I think she is kind of standing there with Tigris and kind of leaning on him, watching the scene play out. Um, and I think he's kind of leaning on her as well. Um, and I think they're kind of just having having a moment there, staring into the sky, being kind of terrified. Would Adressa let Tigris hold her hand? Oh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I almost choked on my Diet Coke right there. Um, and then as far as Hop goes, I think he would be, especially after a little bit of a rest, he would be jumping back in, um, trying to help like heal people with his cure wounds. Um, basically just doing whatever he can to stay busy and not think about what happened. Oh, I forgot to mention... Um... Ember opens her eyes and her vision's a little fuzzy. <laughs> and uh, the first person she can see, she says, Lord Radriel? Yes, my dear lady. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for you for so long. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh man. Oof. I'd say that Sir Bordemus is there as well. He is uh, going around helping um, helping support people who have been injured, um, helping to get people you know, away from the docks and into like undercover into homes or uh, get them bandaged up, take them to some like little makeshift field tents that are set up for the people who have been hurt. Um, one thing that the snow patrol as well as the JB team would, would see there at the docks is that these zealots, these followers of Aramil have stopped any attempt to get to the tower. And um, they all look up towards the sky um, at the battle that's going on and uh, some cry, some pray, some curse, some scream, but they are not attempting to get to the tower anymore. But the whole of Alamar's citizens, young and old, devout and doubter, criminal and virtuous, all watch on, mingling their fear, anger, and sadness with hope as the figures in the sky wage a final war against Iramil, the angel of inevitability. They hold their collective breath as instinctively they know that the future of all of Bavantis will be decided in the few moments that follow.
we go back down deep under the earth. Last time we were together, Nari and the boys and their colleagues, Saman and Colbury, managed to get into this final chamber with Iremil. After learning some of why Iremil is doing what he is doing, a battle ensued where Iremil, having learned decades ago how to separate some of his consciousness into a physical form, instead divided his body into two equal parts. Two angels attacking uh, Nari and the boys, uh, and they were each beaten back. And they both came back towards the center of the room where there is this pit over an endless abyss. Um, And those two forms combined back together into the full form of Iramil. Six wings, uh, half of his face cut off, his left arm missing, um, and yet his face... Well, I'll describe his face in a second. The last thing that happened was Saman managed to pull one of the swords of Lord Laramie from one of the angels, and as the second angel was stricken down, Roos grabbed the other sword. And now Roos has a cursed sword of Lord Laramie, and so does Master Saman. That's where we're starting right now. But first off, Roos, how do you feel holding one of these swords again? Not great. Not great. It was an impulsive decision, um, but perhaps that best encapsulates the chaos that Pavantus is that's fighting against Iramil. Ever since we recorded the last episode, I've been thinking, man, it's like Roos is cheating on his current boyfriend with his ex. <laughs> kind of is too. Yikes. Yeah. Just to quickly describe kind of the room that we're in, it is a large cavern, basically a square. And in the center of the square, there is this deep pit. The pit is 35 feet across in any di- dimension. It is surrounded by these five large, probably 10 foot diameter um, spheres that are full of popping and um, flowing energy. You have one that is full of what can only be described as wind to the north. And then as you go clockwise, there is one full of electricity and this kind of purple haze that you imagine represents the power of the psyche, of the mind. And as you continue around, Um, There is one full of water and then one full of fire and then one full of this green energy that must represent the earth, uh, the the physical aspects of Bavantis. And flying over the center of this pit, we have Iramil standing 18 feet tall again. He is ready for battle. One quick note, too. At the very beginning of the battle, before he split himself, um, somebody shot him, I think, with a with a dueling pistol, um, dealing 13 damage. And um, just so you know, that damage has carried over. So, congratulations. You've already dealt some damage. And it is now Master Saman's turn. Master Saman, holding this sword in his hand, turns to look at you, Roos, as you hold the matching blade. And he points at you. Um, Roos, make a perception check. Oh, I'm good at that. Uh, 22. Okay. You see um, in Master Saman's eyes, you see a hunger. You see a darkness behind the eyes. But with a 22, 
you also recognize a tightness to the jaw. You recognize um, a, um, a furrowing of the brow, and it looks to you with a 22 perception that Master Saman is fighting something. It's like you're seeing two different versions of Master Saman. You're seeing, well, you see the fighting version and you see the version that uh, seems to be upset. He turns to you and in gritted teeth, he says, drop that blade. I have made a deal. And then he's going to take a five foot step closer to you. And that is Master Salmon's turn. Quick question for you, Paul. I believe in a previous episode, you had described Master Salmon as carrying like a large uh, something on his back. Yes, he's got a chest strapped to his back. Yes. Okay. I'm guessing that's still attached to him too, right? It is still attached to his back. Richter would also notice, and, and Rhys would notice, that um, Saman has the the dark, dark red sword in his sword hand, but he draws a dagger from his, uh, in his, in his offhand, and you see him holding it towards the straps that hold the chest to his back. All right. So, that is the end of the round. We are now jumping back up to the top of the initiative. And now, with the full form of Iramil... At initiative 20, I'm so nervous. (laughs) We are going to have a layer action. The layer action is different. You see Iramil pain on his face, not physical pain, but almost like um, emotional pain, kind of a distraught look. We're hurting his his feelings. Basically. And at initiative 20, you see. Iramil point to the sphere that is full of fire and then he turns his hand so palm is up and he clenches his fist really quickly and suddenly that sphere drains and the flame shoots out of it. You have no clue where it goes until a split second later you see coming up through the pit the red glow as that energy from that sphere travels down into the pit underneath Iramil. And so, just a heads up, that is the new layer action as Iramil is draining the power that he has gathered through his heralds into the pit. That does not sound good. Can I make, make an inside <laughs> check to, like, with that move, did he just curse the Pavantis to, like, nuclear winter type levels of cold make an insight check I would like to as well I'm guessing it's a 10 but no it's an only an 8 it's an 8 an 8 um, you don't know you, you're you not sure Roos got a 26 to think about that as well okay on your, on your turn well, then we'll, we'll talk about it remind me when we, when we get back to your turn oh gotcha okay okay Pine what are you gonna do um, Aramil is floating out here over the void okay um, Pine has throwing knives. So I think um, because I am so low on hit points, I'm going to spend this round trying to um, trying to get some hit points back. So I'm going to go ahead and first things first, I will try to move closer to him. So at least if I have no other option, I can throw some knives at him. Um, but I'll move 30 feet up closer to him. And then first I will drink my last potion. 
That is just a, a basic potion. That's seven hit points back. That's that's nice. I'm yeah okay. And then on top of that, I'm going to at level two enter my frigid retribution stance uh, to give myself some temporary hit points. Um, so uh, Pine will say, "The frozen blade spells disaster. Frigid retribution stance, level two." And I'll cast that. That's my last second level spell slot. And I will get 10 temp hit points. And now with the temporary hit points, I am back over a quarter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Uh, Pine, at the end of your turn, Eremiel is going to take a legendary action. And with a legendary action, disappears from sight and suddenly reappears over right behind Roos. Or is it Squire? Or... Yep. Is it a <laughs> muddled up uh, mirror image of Roos? All right. I mean, I like the guy, but that's there's a lot of him. It's a little, <laughs> a little overwhelming, you know? It only takes so much Roos. Look, I don't have hit points. I've got to try and do something else to be able to withstand at least one hit. Yes. All right, Richter, we are on, at your turn. All right, let's do this. Uh, Richter, who is not far from where the images of Roos are, uh, takes a step towards the angel and will lash out with Kinnig's Estoc. A 14 to hit, so that's not going to do it. <laughs> that will not hit. And then the next one, a 12 oh, to hit. Man. man, a 4 and a 2 on my rolls. That will also not hit. Oh man, this is the episode for these rolls too. I mean, I gotta say, our listeners <laughs> oh, yeah. were just begging oh, no. for the historically bad rolls uh, from from uh, from Jordan and Matt. And man, we're delivering. You know what can I say? I, I give the people what they want. You know. <laughs> okay. Well, it is now Iramil's turn. Um, Iramil, with a, actually first we're gonna do a legendary action. Sorry, legendary action. Um, Roos, Iramil looks at you. And you realize instantly he sees right through your duplicate. Cool. cool You're not cool. fooling him. However, you do still have the mirror image, and he is going to strike out at you. And my flashy cloak. Okay. So he's got disadvantage to hit you. Disadvantage on the first one. But if he hits, then no more disadvantage. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that is a... What does he get? Uh, what is a 2 plus uh, four, a 16? Okay, good. That misses. My AC is 18. <laughs> oh my gosh. So he misses with his legendary action, but it is now his turn. In classic bad guy fashion, he starts to speak. It's almost like you're hearing it in your mind, like you're not actually hearing his voice. And it is spoken so quickly, and yet you understand every single word that he says. He says, you do not understand what I am doing. The planes, they are a patchwork quilt where the pieces, each square, individual, and beautiful, yet stitched together at the seams. Pavantis, the square that is Pavantis, the seams are frayed. Some of the threads pull away and pull into other squares while while snarls and snares end up pulling threads from the surrounding squares into Pavantis. But it's getting worse. It's getting to the point where it will start to ruin the entire work. 
That is why I must succeed. And now on his turn, uh, I need one, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four. Nari, make a wisdom saving throw. Difficulty 22. Oh, no. Oh, I'm nowhere around anybody. Oh, my gosh. 18. Um, 18. Oh, you needed a natural 20 for that. Yeah. I'm going to use my last superiority dice for this. Oh, my on. gosh. So, let's see. You need a four. You need a four. Oh, my God. That's a four. Oh, yes! Yes! Oh, Oh, my goodness. Okay, Um, suddenly you felt like your feet start to lift up off the ground as you were about to be flung 100 feet into the air to the top of the cavern, um, taken out of the fight for at least a round and then dropped to the ground from 100 feet up. However, you managed to resist it. And now, instead, we have some attacks coming. Roos... Here comes an attack. Disadvantage. An 18. Does an 18 hit you? An 18 hits. Yes. Okay. So he rolls a d20, and on an 8 or higher, it hits a duplicate. Or pardon me, 6 or higher, it hits a duplicate. Do you want me to roll it, or are you going to roll it? I'll roll it, I guess. Okay. You roll it. It hit one of my duplicates, so I've got three left. Duplicate is gone, but we'll also say since it got through that barrier of the disadvantage, this next attack will not have disadvantage. Sure. Okay. Here we go. Next attack is going to be a 22. That hits. All right. Now why don't you roll it again? See if it hits you or it hits a mirror image. (sighs) Oh my goodness. Now it has to be eight or higher. No, it hit me. Oh no. Okay. All right. Here we go. That is going to be only 16 damage. I'm going to have Squire uh, cut that in half. As you are pushed 10 feet away. That is Iramil's turn, but legendary actions are still in play. Nari, what are you going to do? Okay, Nari is going to run up to Iramil and uh, swing at him with her axe and hope it hurts. Okay. So that is a 28 to hit. Nice. Okay, nice. that'll hit. Yes. Four. 18 damage. Oh, yeah. So that that damage ended up dealing 14 plus four force damage. The force damage is actually doesn't go through as well. It's actually only going to be 16 damage. Point of order. I stole Ramsey's uh, brooch of shielding, so he shouldn't be resistant to force damage anymore. <laughs> Oh, that's right. That was his brooch of shielding. That's nice. Um, he is still resistant to force damage. He is still resistant to force damage. I thought I'd give it a try, guys. Yeah, worth a shot. He's All like, right, it's sorry. a good thing I have this other brooch. Good <laughs> <laughs> thing I'm decked out today in brooches. There are no buttons on his shirt. It's just brooches all the way down. Uh, the next move was a 14 to hit, which I'm going to assume does not. That does um, not hit, no. But then the last one is a 27. That will hit, yeah. And that does, well, well, it should do 16 damage, but how much of that is force? Um, Looks like another four damage is force, so it's going to be the same thing. Okay. It's going to be 14 damage again. Cool. All right. Anything else you want to do? I don't think there's much else I can do. Okay. Last legendary action 
is going to be a strike out at Richter. How does a 20 feel? Yeah, that'll do it. Okay. Let's see. Here comes some damage. It's going to be 17 damage, and you are pushed 10 feet back. You are now standing right next to Roos, further away from Iramil. Oof. Okay. You still up? (laughs) I'm shaky, but I'm up. Okay. All right. And that will now bring us to Colbry. Colbry is going to cast a spell. Like mass healing word? (laughs) Mass cure wounds, you mean. (laughs) That's right. Um, Not even close. No, he's going to cast a spell. You guys had talked about trying to whittle down resistances, and that is exactly what he is going to try to do. So... We are going to need a wisdom save of a 16 from this angel. And he is going to roll a natural one. That's a failure. Yes. Okay. Okay. As Colbury yes. casts a spell. Beautiful. As Colbury casts one of his uh, fifth level spells, um, he can do that one more time, attempting to hold Iramil, but Iramil bursts through that with a, res- with a with legendary resistance, burning one of his three. And now it is Roos's turn. Roos, you are standing next to Richter. <sighs> you have this sword in your hand. Iramil is off to the west a little ways, about 15 feet away from you. Master Saman is 10 feet south of you. And he, his eyes followed you as you moved. And he has turned <laughs> his body to face you. What are you going to do? So, uh, real quick, what did I intuit about the uh, the fire disappearing and going down? Oh, with your 22, I think it was? Um, you don't get the impression that that's going to cause like any kind of effects to Pavantis. You get the impression that that is the energy that has already been sucked away from Pavantis, and that didn't really change the overall environment. You get the distinct impression that fire is going into the pit to feed something, to be part of something, to, if you remember correctly from some of the books in the library, to be the hunger or the anger of the end. Cool. All right. Um, Bruce is going to turn to Saman, just south of him, and he's going to toss him Laramie's saber and say... You remove that curse from me right now, and we'll end this together. And then Roos will... Roos will, will go to do that. Roos's mind tells him to do that. What does Roos's wisdom save tell us? Uh, I think we'd said it was DC 16. That sounds exactly so right. I'm going to make a wisdom save. Okay. With a nat 20. Oh, yeah. For a 28. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Oh, you're okay. so wise. Wisest man in the West. <laughs> you know what? This is... This is so poetic because as this happens as you make this wisdom save as you tell your body to throw the sword you feel in your brain you feel this image begin to form of a scale and you see the finger of Lady Jaffa begin to push on the scale and you have to roll a d10 and subtract it from this save that is literally in my notes and you beat it, even if you rolled a 10 with your natural 20. I told you you were cheating on your new your new boyfriend with your ex-boyfriend. I love it. Oh, love my. It. I, I cannot believe that. Oh, that's so good. I love it. 
so the DC was 16 since he got a 28 even if he rolled a full 10 on what he had to take away from his roll he would still beat the DC that is yes. amazing yes yes <sighs> that is so, so clutch awesome awesome Bruce, cool. something in your brain is just like I don't need this I don't need this sword um, and so you toss it to Master Saman and then then what do you do with the rest of your turn as Master Saman catches it Actually, it falls to his feet. Okay. I, Bruce is going to run up and stand next to his his good pal Squire, and he's going to attack with his bronze blade. With renewed, you know, devotion, if you will, to Jaffa, he's going to strike out. And because Squire's there, I have advantage on this. Okay. Big money. It's only a 24 to hit. That will hit. So 12 radiant... 22 sneak attack for what? 36 damage. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's amazing. And then for my bonus action. Oh man. Do I keep him for? No. Gigi's coming out. I'm going to reach, reach into my pocket, pull out Gigi, and I'm going to throw her over to Iramil. And she's going to start whipping out at him with her bright blue tongue. Okay. Or a 24 to hit. Oh, this does oh, nice. force damage. Shoot. That will hit. It, the damage is going to be half, so roll the, so roll the five, damage. So then two damage. Perfect. No, it's not. Here. That's awful. <laughs> Boo. No, it's perfect for me. Perfect Boo resistance. For me. How come, how come Iramil, like gets to resist force like in this big epic battle, and I have resisted force maybe twice in the entire campaign? <laughs> He turns and casts magic <laughs> missile on you. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh thank goodness. <laughs> and that will be my turn. Yeah, your turn is over. It is now Master Saman's turn. Master Saman steps back away from you and away from the sword just a little bit. It's still within reach, but he takes the dagger and with one quick fluid motion, cuts the straps that are holding the case to his back. As it falls off of his back, the case, this chest that he's been carrying with him, hits the ground, and the lid pops open as five swords scatter across the ground. And as all seven swords now are in the same place, you see this dark kind of cloud mist. Um, it's It's got a little red tinge to it, but it is so dark. Start to um, coalesce around these swords. And within the space of just a few seconds, Master Saman no longer stands there as a vision you have not seen for some time rises up, standing 14 feet tall, dark hood over armor, the edge of all of the armor, just the slightest tint of red as six blades form up in a fan over his head and he holds that seventh blade in his hand. And now Lord Laramie stands here ready to take the battle back to Iramil. And we are back up to the top of the round. Layer action. <laughs> You guys are cool, right? <laughs> Bruce, what happened to your boyfriend? <laughs> you, you know, we do some role play. You know, it's it's a thing. 
I'm gonna be the Dark Lord of Swords. Ooh, no! <laughs> Save me, Dark Lord of Swords! Richter's um, interested <laughs> a little bit. His ears perk up. Yeah. He's like, oh, now this guy gets swords. All right. Iremiel looks over at Laramie, and you can see concern flash across his face, as well as, I'm gonna say, sadness as he re- points over towards the sphere full of blue water, energy coursing through it, and he again makes a fist, and with a crack, suddenly the sphere drains and is empty, and you can hear the sound of water flowing into the pit in the middle of the room. Two down, three to go. Mr. Pine, it is your turn. All right. Well, I, luckily, I'm only about 30 feet away from him, so I can actually come charging back in. And I am still concentrating on my Wrath of the Stars stance level two from our last episode. So if I do connect, I'll be able to do some additional damage. So coming in, sword blazing. First attack is a dirty 20. That will hit. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay. So that's you good. had me there for a sec. <laughs> no, so, so did I. I had myself there. I was like, wait, wait, well, huh? <laughs> um, all right. So that's nine piercing, four cold, two radiant, uh, and then the Wrath of the Star Stance level two will add an additional uh, D8 of cold damage. So that's an additional one cold damage. And because who knows if I'll hit ever again, I'll say... Unleash with precision, Swordmaster's Fury. And I will use my last level one slot to do a Swordmaster's Fury. Additional five radiant damage. So out of 3d8, I did six damage. <laughs> oh my gosh. So what's the total damage then? Let's add this all up. I lost track somewhere. Nine plus four plus two plus one plus five. Plus two plus one. <laughs> Thank plus you. One. <laughs> I mean, I was able to... 21 damage. All right, that's my first okay. attack. My second attack shall be a 10 to hit. That will Boy, miss. Just like they teach us to do. <laughs> it was just a feint, you uh, know, it's just all part of the fight. Yep. Okay, and that's my, then that's uh, that's it. I don't have a, a good bonus action to use, so. Well, now, um, with a legendary action, we are going to get another attack from Iremil. Um, You, As Iremil has been striking out at you, He's got a sword in his one hand and he swings out at you. But as he's been swinging, you see this kind of arc of energy come off the blade, sort of like a Super Nintendo video game, right? Um, and you you figure that he can probably hit anybody anywhere in the room with this attack. He is going to swing out and make an attack against one, two, three, four against Lord Laramie. Oh, yeah, he can take it. <laughs> That's what he's there for. That's an 18, which is going to hit Lord Laramie. 22 damage to Lord Laramie. Okay. Richter, it is your turn. All right. Um, remind me. I know. I think I ask this question all the time, so I apologize for being slow. Um, are we saying that potion interactions are bonus actions? You can do it as a bonus or as an action if you need to. So if you wanted to do two in the same round, you could use one as a bonus and one as an action. All right. Well, as as a bonus action, then I will quickly drink 
my last greater healing potion to heal myself for 16. All right. Wow. <laughs> That's a great roll. Yeah. Daddy needed that. That's great. <laughs> Daddy likey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what Roos and Laramie say. <laughs> I knew I heard that somewhere. Um, and Richter is going to... Yeah, it was at your house just last the night, visual, right? The visual, the visual, y'all. Oh, no. <laughs> Save me, Dark Lord of Swords. <laughs> Daddy like. Richter Richter's going to rush in and uh, swing out a couple more times with Kinnig's stock. So, first roll is a dirty 20 to hit. That will barely hit, yes. Goodness. For 18 slashing. Wow. That's a ton. Oh, wow. That's max damage on my swing. Okay. So, 18 slashing, 6 fire, and 5 life drinker for a total of... Oh, goodness. Do math, Jordan. Uh, 29. So how, what kind of damage is the life drinker? Um, life drinker. When you hit a creature with your weapon, the creature takes plus five extra necrotic damage. You feel that the necrotic damage does nothing. Oh, that's a bummer. Well, poo-poo on you, good sir. You still did 24. That's still really good, though. Yeah, that is still pretty good. Um... We're going to go ahead and make one more attack. Big money, no whammy. 16 to hit. That will miss. Okay. So be it. Good job, Richter. <laughs> With the discipline of a soldier. You got to keep them on their toes, you know. Can't hit every time. And if I only had that sheet of lead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, legendary action. Um, a swing of the sword comes out again at you, Richter. That is going to deal... Less than 16 damage. 24 damage. Oh. oh do you need... To, is it an attack? It is an attack. Does he have to roll a d20 to... <laughs> Paul, Paul, remember how to play D&D? You rolled the hit first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm at 24 to hit. <laughs> yes, you just assume. Paul just assumed it was going to hit you. Okay, okay. Let me roll that damage again. I'd be fine with you rolling it again. Oh my goodness. Okay, so it's going to be 15 damage. Okay. Oh, yes, I'm very <laughs> fine with. Yes. Sounds great. Okay. I mean, it's not great, but at least it's better than the alternative. <laughs> All right. It is now um, Aramil's actual turn. Uh, we'll see if uh, he gets his um, levitation gravity attack back. Five or six. The three does not get it back. Oh, thank goodness. On his turn, he is going to move away from you all and move back up north, phasing in and out. And now he is back up towards the green uh, orb filled with energy. And he is going to make attacks at one, two, three, Roos. Roos, attack coming your way. First off, let's see if he can actually hit you with disadvantage. That is going to be a 17. That oh my gosh, miss. he's rolling so terribly. And a second <laughs> attack coming your way with... Oh, I, didn't, I only rolled once. Um, with a 29. That will hit. Let's see if it, uh, see if it hits, because I've got two guys left. It has to be an 8 or higher to... Okay, so I have one refracted visage duplicate left. So Okay. Since he poofed out of existence and like reappeared, we don't get attacks of opportunity, right? 
Um, he does not actually move. He teleports. So no. Okay. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, actually, no, never mind. He does fly. He flies, but he does not teleport. Teleporting is one of his um, legendary actions, not his normal way of movement. So, <gasps> yes. So I guess that means <gasps> um, Pine and Bruce both get attacks. And Richter too, right? No, Richter was pushed back. Oh, I, I guess oh, so. Yeah, okay. Bruce gets advantage because of being, oh, I probably missed still. A uh, 17 to hit. That will miss. Pine rolled a dirty 20 to hit, so that's 10 piercing, 3 cold, um, 1 radiant, which probably just means 0 radiant, and then an additional D8 of cold. So there's 7 damage. So that's uh, 20. Very good. That is Iramil's turn. Um, he does have one legendary action left, but Nari... What are you going to do? You are way back by the entrance. You see that Colbury is kind of hanging out here towards the entrance to this room. Um, you see that Lord Laramie is literally standing next to you as he gazes over at you. Um, do you want to make eye contact or not? <laughs> <laughs> do you value your soul? <laughs> uh, no, so I will. I'll kind of look over at Lord Laramie and just kind of like nod at him and give him some finger guns. <laughs> um, and then who is next to me is this can I tell if this is actually a ruse over here yeah you can tell it's not ruse because of the giant renaissance beret ah yes okay <laughs> um, then I think I will run up I can't quite make it to the angel so I think I'll just run up next to Richter and Richter how are you feeling are you, are you looking rough? Oh, I'm really rough. Like, he's leaning up against his sword. There's blood pouring from many wounds on him. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Go ahead and take this uh, potion of greater healing. And, uh, yeah. Ugh. Have that hopefully make you feel slightly better. That's 14. Every time we take a potion, I just imagine Gerard crying. <laughs> he's watching us in the sky. I thank you, Gerard. Thank you for this blessing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This potion brought to you by Gerard. <laughs> Friend to all. It's free advertising. <laughs> all right. Well, is that your whole turn then, Nari? Um, this is kind of silly because it's force, but whatever. I'm going to use this spectral ram's head for my axe, finally, and see if I can uh, get this guy from far away. So that was a cool eight to hit. <laughs> it was my first shot, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that will miss, yes. You've got to calibrate the sights before you use it in combat. All right, all right. It's always hard to aim when the stream first comes out, you know. It takes a sec to actually get good control. <laughs> Just give me some time with it. I'll become a master in no time. <laughs> so it's... <laughs> it is It is Colby's turn, but before Colby's turn, there's going to be another legendary action. And this time it is coming at Pine Pine. You see a slash of this sword of Iramil as a beam, this crescent of energy comes slicing towards you with a 28 to hit. Yeah, that will hit. Oh. 16 damage. Okay, I can take it. I'm just looking at the description of Frigid Retribution Stance. Technically, this is a ranged spell attack. Boo! But it's with a sword. <laughs> That's a <sighs> flavor. You literally use a cane as a shield, man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, it is now Colbury's turn. 
Colbury is going to shy away from Laramie, not sure what to uh, what to make of this. He also was with you guys five years ago when you talked to Lord Laramie when he was still halfway trapped in that crystal wall deep beneath the surface of the Glass Mountains. He is going to attempt again to cast um, a spell against um, Iremil. Iremil has to make a save and passes, but actually as a reaction, snaps his fingers and Colbury now has to make a Charisma 22 saving throw. Oh no. Ooh. Oh my goodness, he rolled a natural 18. What is what is his Charisma save? Oh my goodness, let's see. Where is his Charisma save? What is it? What is it? What is oh, it? Oh no. Um, mm, he got a 20. Oh no. Suddenly, Colbury is stuck in place as the hold monster spell is now holding Colbury in place. Who's who, but whose concentration is it taking? That's the question. Um, it literally there's an angel in the room. Um, so, uh, I guess it's taking his concentration. So, you can. Make of that what you will. Okay. Maybe. Ooh, every time we hit him, we make more saves than the turn. Oh. Ruse sister. <laughs> table talk, table talk. <laughs> no, you can you can say it out loud, I'm sorry. I don't want to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wanna. Bruce is gonna move up with Squire. Squire doesn't quite have enough movement to get uh into base to base. I'm gonna stand next to Richter. I'm gonna stand in front of Richter and um, Squire at my side to hopefully um, deter any attacks towards Richter. Oh. And from there, I'm going to throw my Chakram. We'll see what happens. A 26 to hit? Uh, 26 does hit, yes. It will be 9 psychic damage. You see the Chakram hit Iremil and pass right through. Cool. Leaving no mark. Cool, cool, cool. That was great. It's awesome. Um, that's my turn. All right. And now it is time for Lord Laramie. Let me make a measurement real quick. Uh oh. <laughs> Did you just rut row your own like NPC <laughs> fighting against your enemy? Lord Laramie rushes past you. The speed is blinding. Uh, as fast as you've ever seen Richter move. Um, these swords trailing behind in this fan, almost like a peacock up behind the head of Lord Laramie. Um, and with seven attacks, <laughs> here they come at Iremil. You can add plus nine to each of these swings. Oh my goodness. Okay, we've got hit, miss, 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 hit, hit, critical. We have three hits and a crit. So three hits is going to be 26 damage plus 12. So that's 28, or that's 38 damage right off the bat. Good thing Roos is friends with so many gods. I just collect them, uh, you know, along the road. And now for the crit. 14 more damage. How's he looking? He looks... He doesn't look angry. He looks... He looks sad. He's disappointed. He looks sad. <laughs> he is, again, bleeding from multiple wounds. Did you say he's not angry, just disappointed? 
Yeah. I said he's not angry. Yeah, yeah. Serena said he's just disappointed. Oh my goodness. All right. Um, he looks. He looks sad. He looks sad, and he looks. He looks like he has taken quite the beating. So, like on a scale of one to three, like where's he? So you have one to three. Um, <laughs> he's, he's a two. He's a one, which is the best. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Oh, he's got a gift basket sized wound in his chest. He's looking kind of gringy. I'm trying to throw everything out there that we've done in this podcast. Let's, let's do everything out for this campaign now. <laughs> kind of gringy. Gringy. Right. Okay. With, uh, with initiative 20, a new layer action, he points up towards the crystal sphere at the northernmost point of this room, the one full of wind. And as he makes a fist, it cracks asunder and the wind disappears flowing down into the pit you can hear the whirling whistle of like a tornado coming from the depths of this pit in the center of the room three down two to go mr pine it is your turn i don't like this by the way i did make a constitution saving throw after i got hit um, and I was able to pass uh, the concentration check, so I still have Wrath of the Stars stance from level two. Oh, he needs to make three, uh, four um, uh, concentration checks. Oh, that's true. Uh, let's see, for all those different attacks, oh gosh. Two fails, and he will burn two more legendary resistances. What? Okay, so Colbry is still paralyzed. Still paralyzed, yes. But he's out of legendary resistances. That is true. Yes, if he only had the normal three. And Pine, it is your turn. Okay, so Pine will rush up to him. Uh, he can still He's still within uh, range, and I'll make two attacks. I am, I am also very close to death. Uh, the first one is only a 17, and the second one's only a 12. <laughs> no. With a legendary action, an attack is coming towards Colbury. It is a ranged spell attack. Colbury cannot avoid this, but I don't think he doesn't get advantage because it's ranged, correct? He does have advantage? He has advantage, unless he's prone. When he became paralyzed, if he became prone, then he has disadvantage. No, he's not prone. He's just stuck in place. That is going to be a 33 to hit, almost a crit, and we are going to deal 19 damage to Colbury. Hey, Paul, if he's paralyzed, is it only melee attacks that are auto crits? I think it's melee that's only auto crits. Okay. I, can right. somebody look up that rule for me real quick? Because that's going to make a difference. Oh my god, my butthole's clenched so tight right now. This is so <laughs> stressful. Oh man. <laughs> Any attack that hits the creature is a critical hit. If the attacker's within five feet. Okay, so no, it's not a crit. Okay. Okay, cool. So it is just 19 damage, which is going to do... Colbury looks terrible. Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> Richter, it is your turn. Okay. Um, Richter is heaving. He's kind of got the sword point dug into the ground as he's resting for a second. Blood is kind of pouring from many open wounds on him. But he lifts up the blade and he says, Nobody escapes justice and judgment, not even you. And he's going to rush forward. But as he's moving forward, he is going to say dramatic pause wait for it I'm giddy he's gonna say to Pine stand fast the light preserve us 
and he's going to give Pine seven temp HP. Ooh, I'll take it. Yeah, thank you. And then he will rush up and make some attacks on Le Angel for a nat one. Uh, that'll miss. <sighs> Big ol' whiff. Followed strongly with a nat 20. All oh right. Oh my god, that's great. And I am going to yell out, You have been judged and found guilty, Swordmaster's Justice. So let's roll some diggity diggity dice. <laughs> 16 plus 4 critical, so 20 slashing damage, I think is how to interpret that. Yep. Plus eight fire, um, plus five life drinker necrotic, which I guess is nothing. Um, plus an extra four. Is that what I'm reading that correctly? So 32 damage. <laughs> 32 damage. And then I double the dice for my for my <laughs> smite, right? It would be 68 normally, so it'd be 12d8. Of, of radiant damage? Oh, wow. It is actually force damage. So Okay, so just just roll it straight then. Don't double it if it's force. If it's radiant, don't even bother rolling it. Okay, fair enough. It, so he's immune to radiant? So I rolled 29 damage, force damage, with the smite. Richter. Oh! Uh, <laughs> Kill him. You see this massive 18-foot-tall angel standing in front of you. His sword pointed at you. You see... As you strike out and as you call for the justice of Lord Asterman, as you strike at this angel, you see a look of complete and utter sadness as you strike Iremiel. What happens? So the first blade swing, I rush in um, and it, it is just a huge whiff. And it's kind of a large swipe, a swinging, arcing kind of slash at the angel. I pull back and yelling out, he has been judged and found guilty. I thrust forward um, with a huge lunge, the flaming sword kind of streaking forward right into the chest of this creature. And then an explosion of energy as it starts to make contact and sink into its chest. As you strike Iremiel and as your sword sinks into his chest, you see him drop to his knees. He puts his one hand down on the ground to support himself as he rolls over onto his side and his wings cover him sort of like a blanket. It covers his head, his shoulders, all the way down. His lower legs are sticking out from underneath these wings. But Iremiel's body lies here in front of you. Why don't we go ahead and cue victory music? Oh my God. I can yeah. Breathe. Oh my goodness. Oh. So this whole time, like you were letting me waste my uh, sword master's fury doing no additional damage. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you are standing here over the body of Aramil, you see Colbry shake himself loose as he comes running up towards the dying angel. 
what are you guys going to do right now as Lord Laramie stands around pacing like a caged lion? Bruce reaches into his backpack and, and pulls out the ball gag and <laughs> goes and puts it into his mouth. And then he says, wait, wait, wait. And um, how big is that orb that Colbury's holding? Actually, he doesn't have it. Nari has it. Oh, and it is a—it's like the size of a like a basketball, like a junior basketball. Oh, okay. Well, I was gonna. You try want this? That his mouth too, but no. <laughs> no, he's eighteen cool. feet tall. Oh, that might actually make fit. it work. You know? <laughs> yeah. Bruce is gonna try and shove that into his mouth and like fasten it like a massive ball gag. <laughs> Pine will pull uh, Iramil's sword away from the body. Okay, this sword is like. It's like nine feet tall. Oh, it's I know. Huge. Pine's not going to use it. I'm just pulling it away. Yeah. It's it's like a it's like Cloud Strife's swords. Um, you pull the sword away as Roos, as you shove this device, this trap, this um, this ancient tech into the mouth of Iramil, and Colbury steps up and says, "Should I should I activate it? Yeah. Oh, yes. Let's get this done. The sooner the better." Okay. I'm going to back up. Bruce backs up a lot. Pine covers his crotch. <laughs> <laughs> Colbury starts to focus. Laramie paces around the room, um, glaring at, in turn, the dead body of Iramil and then at the five of you. Bruce, make an insight check. Colbury is going to activate the item. Suddenly, there is a flash of light, and these strong chains come shooting out of this ball that you have shoved into the mouth of this angel. As they wrap around and around and around this angel, uh, securing the body in place, as then it shrinks down tiny to the size of a marble, there is this small opaque jewel and as you approach and look at it you can sort of see the figure of Iramil trapped behind crystal of some kind that it looks like in a circle as you start at the top it goes red orange yellow green light blue dark blue purple and white as if each color fades into each other there is this nice small jewel with the trapped body of Iramil inside. Well, I don't know what we're going to do with this. Right. I mean, there's a bottomless abyss right over here. I don't know. One plus one plus one plus two plus one. Roos <laughs> got a 22 on that insight check you told me to make. Roos, you um, in watching Lord Laramie, you distinctly remember the need to finish what you started when you held those blades. And you understand that right now, Lord Laramie is upset that he did not get the killing blow on Aramil. Cool. <laughs> As you stand here in this chamber, you hear the voice of Saman coming from behind the cowl. And it doesn't sound like it's talking to you, but you can hear it talking out loud. And the voice says, we had a deal honor your end of the bargain and you see Laramie take a few more steps glare at the five of you and then disappear 
and in place of Laramie, you once again see Master Saman. He is sweating. He is weak. He His clothes are tattered. His hair is a mess. But he seems to be complete. Except he does not have any of the swords of Lord Laramie. Those are now gone. Here we stand in this room. There is a jewel. What do you guys want to do with it? I think I think that jewel is far too powerful to and tempting for people to bring back up to the surface with us. It may be that we can leave it here. It may be we can toss it into the void down below. I don't know. Do we bring it up with us and, and seek to protect it? Or do we hide it? Is not knowing where it is going to cause a Jumanji effect? <laughs> was there anything with the Ormex? Were we supposed to maybe bring it to their facility of some sort? I don't. They didn't specifically say that they needed it back or anything. I mean, it seemed it was. Uh, they stopped studying it because it was too powerful for them to contain, too expensive to produce. Right? Paul, if I remember that correctly? Yeah. This is a. This was a, a like an experimental thing. This was um, incredibly refined, but. But yeah, um, untested. And after talking with the Ormex, you get the impression they weren't even quite sure how this worked. They just knew that it was a trap of some kind. Oh, yes. Well, the question then is, do you leave it here on the floor where he falls and just hope that nobody here on our plane of existence finds it? Or do we cast it into this void, whatever this may be? Thoughts? I suppose my vote would be into the void. It's, it stresses me out thinking that it could end up anywhere, but... Colbury, this is where he was sending the energy that he had siphoned from Pavantis. Is there a possibility that it could have rejuvenating effect on him over time? As you um, ask Colbury that, Colbury actually is over um, looking at the box that Master Salmon had had strapped to his back, the lead-lined chest. Oh, um, he looks up and he says, um, if, if we're going to toss it in the pit, we might as well shield it as much as we can. Uh, put it behind lead. You know, that, that would make sense to me. It, will it feed him? I have no clue what is down there. Um, he goes and he kind of looks over the edge and... Um, Don't fall in. Woo! <laughs> he <just> stares back. <laughs> um... I'm going to just explain this to you guys because you guys have all had as much information as anybody in the world. This energy was going to awaken something down in this pit that would have destroyed Pavantis. This being now has anger and blood and breath, but no body and is not awake and because it is not complete, this being will very shortly disappear. It will, it will never actually become realized. Wait, so this is like its feeding tube or umbilical cord or its mouth? Well, maybe we don't throw a body down there then, if that's one of the things it needs. I'm worried for future generations. If we leave this down here where no one is able to check on it. If he does, at one point in the future, regain his strength, no one will know. It would be on us, then, to find a way to 
hide this away forever, where no one would ever find it. Or to defend it, and and I don't know, maybe I, maybe someone smarter than me can figure it out, but have a way to uh, preserve it. Colbury is looking at it, and he says, "This is strong." strong tech, strong magic, strong arcane power. It's going to take a lot, and I mean a lot, to break any enchantments on this if my guess is correct. So it's not as simple as somebody with a hammer can come along and smash it open. But somebody with the right tools may be able to. But they would have to be incredibly powerful tools. I say we cast it into the void then, and then nobody on Pavantis will likely ever be able to reclaim it. I'm all for that. I mean, obviously, put it in the chest first. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Honestly, I... I, Were we to bring it back with us and seek to protect it, we'd basically be making... We'd be asking people to create a new cult of Uramil, but this one would be to keep him imprisoned to keep his body from being discovered it may be too tempting yeah and I don't want his influence to be in Pavantis any longer yeah no more creepy cults I agree with that alright you uh, Master Saman um, hands somebody this lead lined glove that he had had with him to put it on so you can pick up the gem put it in the box and toss the box over into the void Richter, I think you should do the honor since you dealt the killing blow. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So, yeah, Richter will put on the lead-lined glove and go grab the gem, put it in the box, and without saying another word, he'll kind of look at it for a moment and then toss it into the void. Okay. And Pine will, as it falls through, he'll say, Suck it! <laughs> Inevitable, bitch! <laughs> And with that, we are going to we're going to fast forward a little bit as Nari and the boys. I imagine you would take a break down here, maybe not in this room, but you would take a break to catch your breath and figure out exactly how you're going to get back up to the surface. It's Roos's shoes, right? It's Roos's shoes. <laughs> it's Roos's shoes. It's Roos's shoes. As somebody starts, I'm guessing that Roos would start because they're his shoes. Um, as Roos makes his way up the shaft all the way to the surface, it takes him hours. Roos is really good at going up the shaft. Hours. Yes, hours on the shaft. Um, you finally get up to the surface, and it is dark. It is nighttime. Um, you are in the top layer of this tower and then you toss the shoes down and everyone takes turns and um, Roos as you're standing at the top of this tower um, in the room where you fought Mordecai the prophet um, you see that there are other people in the room with you Um, apparently when you defeated Iramil the statue this zord that was floating up in the sky came crashing down into the bay and the last power of these traps turned off Standing here at the top of the tower, we see what's left of the JV team, along with Sir Bordemus, as well as the Snow Patrol. Um, Kira is here, and Sanya is here. Uh, we see Daffodil. We see others um, who have been in town. We even see Gerard and Porthos. And um, slowly, 
very slowly, the rest of the party makes their way to the surface. I imagine it takes maybe even a day or two for all of us to finally get out of there. It would take a long time, yes. Oh, the other thing that you realize too when you drop the shoes down, there is no more feather fall effect in the tower. Okay. So the shoes get oh, down there geez. very, very quickly. Yikes. Thank goodness that they're magic. <laughs> Over the next few days, you see that um, some in the city are celebrating. I, I'd say most in the city are celebrating to some degree or another. Not like, you know, a big parade, but the spirits are lifted. You see people sharing drinks. You see people um, pulling together and um, clapping each other on the back as you pass them in the streets. You see people giving you salutes as you walk by. You see people holding up their drinks. You see people praising your names. You also see people maybe who don't share in the joy that everyone else has. You see and hear over the next few days and weeks and months the this new fear um, because the people who were watching here in the city of Almar, they could hear what Iramil said to each of you as he talked about how the different planes of existence are like a patchwork quilt and how the threads are fraying. And over the next few months, maybe even years, there are new religions and cults that begin to spring up all over Pavantis. Some worshipping chaos as a thumb, uh, thumbing the nose towards Iramil and what he had attempted. And you see others who go the opposite way. And they recognize that what Iramil was doing must have been the correct path. And they praise order and um, there is this new religion, this new dichotomy between chaos and order that is kind of spreading across the world, the globe of Pavantis. As um, time goes on and Ormex continue to uh, travel from where they woke up all the way towards the Kilava, um, over time the Kilava becomes less and less like an overcrowded sanctuary as the Ormex begin to integrate more into everyday society around Pavantis. And the Kilava itself becomes more of a center of learning and innovation. At this point, I'm going to turn the story over to each of you. Why don't you tell me, give me a quick epilogue for your Snow Patrol character and your JV Squad character before we get everybody's epilogue for Nari and the boys. Why don't you each roll initiative? Just, just a d20? Yeah, just a d20. I'm not very fast in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Nari got a nat 20 on that. Oh my goodness. Yes, she did. Of course she did. It's perfect. It's of perfect. Course. And Mag uh, got a 14. Bruce got a 7. Or I guess this is Darden. Or it's it's Scott. It's Scott. <laughs> Jordan got a 13. Fantastic. All right. Well, Sabrina, why don't you tell us what is going on with Adressa and with um with Hop? And 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 of course, if something's going on with Adressa that's involving somebody else, I mean you can you can say that too. Yeah, I was going to say, if it's okay with Tikris, um, I think Adressa would want to uh, 
I think she would want to pursue that relationship. <sighs> That's so sweet. I think it's perfect. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sabrina, but I could see them being the kind of couple that like breaks up and gets back together a, f- a few times. <laughs> oh, for sure. It's a little tumultuous for, a w- well, for forever, honestly. It's a little, yeah, yeah. they're kind of a little crazy, but, um, but no, I imagine that, I do imagine that she ends up with Tigris and, um, she continues her position, um, like, cause she was doing, she was like doing the guard work beforehand. Yeah, I think she was. Yeah. Yeah. So she just, she continues that. And then she's also on like, I imagine like the council, um, for trying to rebuild the clans and kind of create better alliances between them. Nice. And what about Hop? What's Hop up to? Um, so I think Hop finally finds his wife that he has been looking for for so long. Um, so that's really happy. And I think what ended up happening was after the world exploded for nobody's fault. Um, <laughs> as far as Hop knows, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they were separated. He and her and, and their child were separated. And uh, so I think she was kind of a refugee and she kind of ended up being taken in by like a wealthy family who, you know, they said they would take care of her, but they kind of just indentured servituded her. Very Les Mis vibe. Um, gotcha. Like Fontaine. Um, Master of the house. Exactly. Like she ended up just kind of like owing them a bunch of money and they would ended up kind of just taking advantage of her. Um, but she was eventually able to escape and she, she found Hop, and uh, he came back to the city and might have had his friends on the B team come help him grab his daughter and, and bring her out of the city as well. Nice. And, and then he never went on another adventure again. Good for him. Artists would have totally helped him do that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, Matt, why don't you tell us then what what what, what happened with Tikris and with um, and with artists? It sounds like we already know what happened with Tikris. He got some. We know some <laughs> of what happened with Tikris. Yes, <laughs> some of it. Um, I was thinking, and this actually goes to um, Jordan. And so, uh, if, say whatever you want. I just was thinking it be it would be a fun thing to include with Yostin. Um, since Tikris and Yostin are kind of the lead representatives of each of their separate clans and they work together, um, this experience, like far away in the wide world, um, I think Tikris has like has it in his head like oh we must we must build relationship with the outside world we must you know bring the mountain clan as a as a participant in the overall geopolitical spectrum of Pavantes etc etc and uh, it's really just like so like once a year Tikris and Yastin would ride their ripper birds out to like a different major city and it's supposed to be like establishing <laughs> establishing like contact with these other major cities uh, but really it's just kind of like a guy's weekend <laughs> that's awesome I love that I think Yastin is awesome. super into that he'd probably <laughs> get a tattoo of Tikris on his arm actually at some point 
but yes, and I mean, address is more than welcome to come, but being tend to being tending to be the more responsible one. Uh, I'm sure like address pretty much runs everything when Yastin and Tikris are gone. Awesome. And what's artist up to? So artists is, you know, like with the story of Hop, uh, especially like, you know, getting uh, getting his kid out of the city and all that, like artists will still continue to do jobs. But he's kind of like, you know how in the Die Hard movies <laughs> after John McClane, like does something crazy to stop terrorists and save airports and, and, and like all that. He just kind of like goes back to being a cop. Uh, that's yep. kind of that's kind of what artist does um, after all of the events here in in Almar. He was actually gifted some land to basically start up his own like a new farm, and he kind of just retreats there, doing his. You know, he was a pig farmer, so he he's raising you know pigs with Captain Ginger Snaps there as well, like trying to keep her from eating the pigs. Um, and uh, but people who are in the know will seek him out when they need help and he will do his best to help them. But he's kind of, you know, he's 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 kind of grumpy about it, but he you know, he still helps out where he can and he doesn't get paid for it um, really much. He's he's got what he needs. Um, and every once in a while. One of his kids will visit. Oh, Perfect. Jordan, tell us about Yastin. I mean, we know Guy's Weekend, you know, Hot Guy Summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, there, that is a big part of it for sure. I mean, he, he goes back and he kind of resumes um, and tries to help out with his tribe and he and Tikris, you know, do their boys weekends. I think in his newfound love of traveling, he ends up meeting this Minarese woman who is just like ludicrously hot, like way out of his league, but is for some reason just <laughs> in love with him. And Aww. nobody can explain it. It's it's totally inexplicable, but they end up settling down together up in the mountains. Um, and she, you know, permits and just kind of deals with the fact that he is a rather eccentric guy. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't love Yostin? That's wonderful. <laughs> That's awesome. He's like, ha ha, dear Chris, tell me about your sex life, huh? Hi, <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs> Dougie. You're my favorite <laughs> customer. <laughs> Address and I are fighting again. She's tearing us apart. <laughs> tearing us apart, dear Chris. No. <laughs> And then what, what's going on with Bert? For Bert, you know, he teams up with the uh, with the JV team at one point, you know, helps out with getting Hop, you know, Hop's kids reunited and everything. 
And probably maybe four or five months after that, he ends up passing away uh, in uh, in Tabory. And um, I would imagine, you know, probably it would be like a sad, you know, reunion period for many of the different characters in the campaign that knew Bert throughout the course of it. But, you know, his struggle with health, um, basically it was it was a cancer that he had during that kind of manifested itself after the shattering and something that he just kind of struggled with, you know, after the shattering, you know, in their, in the midst of their, of their campaigns. Um, but eventually I think he would kind of succumb to that, but it's not necessarily a sad thing. I think from his perspective, it was, you know, this old soldier, this old guard was able to like truly be of service and truly help the world one more time and so you know I think it was kind of a mission accomplished moment for him and he just kind of yeah you know succumbed to that okay I think Pine would have offered a eulogy at his funeral and smoked one last cigar well of course he would have smoked he would have poured one out for Bert and smoked a cigar but he definitely would have called back to like out of all out of all the things that Bert has done for for everyone. I think the the greatest kindness he ever showed me was when he understood the danger I was in and drew the attention of those who would do me harm on himself. And he nearly lost his life for it. He was the truest friend. And Pavantis is better for him being in it, and, and a little worse now that he is left. It's really sweet. Scott, why don't you tell us what's going on with Darden? So Darden, I think, would have, shortly after all of the events, moved to the Kilava and started, you know, once it's becoming more of like a center for learning, uh, started a, like a blacksmithing school. And he teaches his craft to anyone that wants to come and work with him. And that's where he spends the rest of his days. That's great. I'm like imagining that he doesn't speak the language no, though for never. some reason. He like, never learned any other languages. <laughs> you have to learn his language if you want to work with him. No, that's great. That's and, awesome. and that's about it. Um can I say something about Ember too? Yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent. As long as it's not sure. just she rots in the ground. No, it's not. It's not. I, I don't know if the rest of the party would have tried to bring her back with some methods. So nobody mentioned it. So I'm just, so I'm going to say that they didn't. I don't know that artists really even know that's possible. Okay. Yeah. That's really powerful 
magics and and a lot of that's probably been lost to the world or only the most powerful clerics and mages would even have access to it so then the only person that this would um interact with i guess would be nari at some point maybe 10 15 years after all of the events of everything nari has a very vivid dream where ember comes to her as an angel of lord radriel and the two of them share an evening in this dream talking and catching up and saying their goodbyes that's really sweet Nari wakes up with tears crying down her face <laughs> where, where does where does Nari wake up <laughs> We're going to get to that right now. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's jump back in to Nari and the boys. Nari and the boys, as you um, have now gone through some amount of time, you can tell me how much time has passed for each of your kind of thoughts going forward. Um, you, you get to deal with the experience of being heroes and being known. And the story of what you have done has spread around Pavantis. And there are people who don't believe it. There are people who think it's all, you know, hyperbole and, and exaggeration. But enough people have heard the story that it is, I'm not going to say hard for you guys to go places, but it's hard to be anonymous sometimes. And it's really hard to pay for your own drinks. What oh, happens? Darn with nari after this she drinks so much <laughs> yes <laughs> the next few years are a blur <laughs> i mean i think immediately ish after you know everything that happens well immediately i think after everything that happens she goes up and she finds kira and she swoops her up and and leans her over and gives her a big old smooch um but then i think you know once she hears about ember she's obviously going to be really devastated but kind of like scott said i don't think that she's necessarily gonna try to seek justice or vengeance or anything i think she feels pretty she feels like we won and she feels at peace with that. Um, but I do think in like the following months, she's definitely going to spend those with Kira at Tabori doing everything she can to help, uh, with the kingdom establish peace and at least as minimal chaos as possible. Well, we're talking about Tabori, um, at this point. So what happens with the war between Tabori and Arkley? I don't. I don't know if I want to be the one to decide that. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. It seems like a uh, Roos problem. Okay, we'll get to that if Roos has thoughts on that. I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, that. You know what? Um, I guess. How does Nari kind of end her days? Oh, we're going clear to the end. Well, we don't have to. Just say what you're comfortable with. Okay. Uh, okay. So I guess I sort of imagined her, I mean, o overall living out the rest of her days, kind of in combination between going from Tabori to the mountains, um, 
And while she's in Tabori, you know, she's obviously with Queen Kira, um, you know, being an advisor, doing whatever sort of work she can as far as ambassadorship. Um, and then when she's in the mountains, she kind of lives almost an opposite life where she doesn't make any decisions and she just follows whatever the council um, tells her to do, whether that's going hunting or just chopping wood. And then in the evenings, I imagine she like tells the children stories of adventures and um, shows them some cool like axe moves and stuff. Uh, she shares some of the lessons that she learned from her primary school teacher named Jesus. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say something like that too. Oh, that's great. That's great. Awesome. What happens with, uh, with Mr. Pine? I think um, immediately uh, coming up and um, being recognized as a hero, I think that Pine, duty-bound soldier to the end, um, would go right back into service with Kira as, as an ambassador. And I don't think that Kira would really use him as an ambassador anymore. Like, he he's earned, you know he's earned the freedom to go and do and represent Tabory however he sees fit because I mean come on he's you know he, he maybe didn't do very much damage to Iramil but he was there um, <laughs> but I think that uh, um, with that you know I think that uh, he would have his um, he'd have his duel with uh, with Sanya and um, uh you know, he warned her that he would not be holding back. And when he attempted to hold back because it's his daughter, she called him out on it and they had a really good duel and he yielded. And so he passed on the, the title of Blossoming Storm of the Western Sky to his daughter, Sanya. I guess I, too, kind of want to leave it to, to Scott to talk about the war with Tabri and Arkelvy. But I will say this, um, Pine did accompany Kira and I imagine Nari and everybody back to Tabori, where one of the first things they did um, was to give a state funeral for Tiny. Um, and Tiny, Tiny's sacrifice for Pavantis became a rallying point for, for Tabori that bolstered the morale and really helped push forward the war effort, um, you know, coming together in grief and, uh, you know, resolve to end this war that Tiny was leading. I can see like a massive statue being built of Tiny. That's, yes. you know, somewhere or like a memorial garden to him uh, in the city. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, totally. Something to Ember as well. And another one built for Bert at Tabri Gallows Square, for sure. Definitely, and uh, so then, and then um, after after that, Pine would spend some time at the Kilava as well. I think that the that the the scientists and researchers at the Kilava they like Pine fine, but he kind of bothers them because he is so. I mean, you know, he he's the kind of person who would be like pretend like he knows what's going on, but also he's kind of pushy when it comes to 
hey, how's everything going with this crystalline matrix of my dear friend, Ebby? Have you found a way to house it in a new body? And as they maybe are still struggling to find anything to do for Ebby, um, Pine would actually kind of latch on to the thought that he had when he was back in Menarest, which was which would be to um, because Moshe is weakened and Pine's religion is all about balance between the lords and ladies, um, seek out powerful people who worship um, Artarian, the Lady of Decay, and uh, whether it's working with clerics or basically to tame Moshe and bring him back from his bestial state um, through the help of the natural decay um, and, and try to reestablish that balance as a way to maybe find something that would help Ebby, at least Ebby's form, hoping that in restoring some power to Moshe, it would give some ability to restore Ebby as well. Um, I don't want to, to end Pine's story, but I will say that that is kind of where people lose track of Pine. Okay. Very nice. Okay. Jordan, why don't you tell us what happens with Richter? Yeah, so the life of Kalen Angelbane Richter, uh, <laughs> as he becomes known throughout the area of Almar. Angelbane! <laughs> hey, it's Angelbane! It's Angelbane! <laughs> so he he comes back and um, he's used to kind of being a person that operates in the shadows, and he is very much a celebrity now. Um, but he's learned enough to kind of wield some of that newfound celebrity to kind of help stabilize the city-state of Almar, of Rakolia. Um And so he, uh, you know, he kind of engages in that. There's some pushback with Bartas, but Bartas's influence following all of this, I think, begins to be greatly diminished. And by the end of a period of time, you know, there's a moment where Richter is sitting at a cafe with Bartas across from him. You know, they're not much of friends, but they've grown to respect each other now um, as they've grown older. After a little while, Richter puts the house up for sale and decides to head back to Minarest. And in going back there, he trains Cassian, um, to become the new blazing sun of the eastern sky. And with that kind of hangs up the spurs and while still in Minarest, runs into an old individual who is missing his right leg, uh, who Kalen begins to realize is Ivan, his brother, whom he has not seen since, you know, they were probably in their late teens um, so 50 plus years um, and they reconnect and kind of are happy old men living in Kalinium, uh, enjoying drinking wine and eating food 
That's nice. I guess I didn't realize Richter was wearing spurs this whole time. <laughs> didn't realize I mean, he was such yeah. a cowboy. Doesn't even doesn't even really ride horses, but he loves them. You know. <laughs> yeah. They're like swords for your heels. <laughs> you yes. so much. <laughs> oh, man. oh my goodness, that's so great. Sharp. Oh yeah. All right, Scott, what happens with Roos? I think Roos starts out with the intention of going and taking over Arklevee and becoming the king and doing all that. But just like before, I think he changes his mind at the last minute. The war happens and they, you know, they kick out Tenor and they get, um, they get control of the city. And I think conversations between Roos and his sister Kira, she's so much better suited to leadership than he is that she takes over the city and establishes a kingdom that kind of stretches that whole stretch of that whole, you know, land from Tabory clear out east to Arkelvy. And uh, so basically her kingdom grows. Um, and through all that, Roos stays on, you know, as an advisor, he kind of hangs out around her for a time. But eventually he starts his own order dedicated to Lady Jaffa. And it's a mix of like a thieves guild and a temple, but it's not like a traditional like going and stealing. It's a the services that they offer on the down low are to tip the scales of fate. So if somebody's, you know, struggling with the law or struggling with this or that, they don't go and kill people, but they try and, you know, rebalance the scales for people as best they can. Like that TV show Leverage. Like Leverage. Yep, exactly. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's you know, both, both a thieves organization, but it's on the up and up-ish. It's also run by the Queen's brother, so, you know, like, uh, kind of some nepotism here going on. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. But, you know, the, the, all the, the underhanded dealings, they're not, like, public knowledge. His sister, I'm sure, knows about it, but it's not something that the general public would know. And that's kind of how he spends the rest of his days. I think he starts, you know, trying to be a more, like, religious person, like, dedicated to Jaffa, but he's never... I don't know, he's kind of wishy-washy. He kind of bounces between things his whole life. But uh, yeah, that's kind of where he spends his days. And and that temple that he, or that organization that he founds would be in Arkelby. Nice. Well, awesome. Um, there's one more epilogue to talk about, but... Um, I have written out a whole bunch of different people that you guys have come across and kind of their epilogues. And, you know, a lot of them we don't need to talk about. I mean, Nilla and Sir Bordemus, they, they end up together. Um, now that Nilla is no longer having to fight against an oppressive regime, she is now free to kind of be above ground again. And she and Bordemus become like nobles in the city. They become... Um, a power couple. Uh, yeah, a power couple, right? Um, you know, um, Pender um, and Tedward part ways. <laughs> um, Tedward continues to tour, um, but never quite gains the same fame that he had um, when he was, um, you know, selling out 
shows at the at the opera house. Um, Temrid Pine Jr. Uh, he becomes um, not necessarily the um, one of the six um, leaders of Menarest, but he does um, he does become a very powerful advisor and potentially even some of the power behind the six uh, clerics that rule Menarest. Um, you know, um, Daffodil goes on to become a sky pirate. Um, let's see who else. <laughs> Just for her. Just yes. for her. I love it. I love that yeah. for her. <laughs> Years pass. Years. Um, Pine, you kind of disappear for a while. And I think the next time you show up in the in the narrative is here. Deep beneath the surface. Um, in the mountains north of Tapery. Hermine pushes you in a wheelchair as age has taken its toll. She pushes you through the Kilava as Roos and Nari and Richter all come together again. Others have come as well. Um, Kira has accompanied uh, Nari and um, some others who have been working hard and allies from the past who would not miss this for the world. Um, Sydney is there. Um, Jessamine and other Ormex are there. Is Angus there? Please tell me Angus is there. Angus is 100% there. <laughs> He's a hero. <laughs> Angus is there. Um, Pine, I'm going to kind of describe it from Pine's point of view as you get pushed in this wheelchair as your old allies who maybe you haven't seen them for months. Maybe it's been years. Um, as you come back together again after so much time, it can't, can't help but remind you of after the shattering when you were apart for so many years and then you came back together and it was like no time had passed and that's Mm -hmm. how you feel now although obviously time has passed age has taken its toll people are actually starting to forget sometimes that you were heroes who saved Pavantis but you still get free drinks pretty much anywhere you go it'll be postum for me thank you (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hermine pushes you in a wheelchair into a room. The room is, um, you can tell that at one point it was a cave. Um, you see Ormex standing around um, working on intricate machinery. You see newly formed crystals, this time not out of control like before, but very carefully created crystals of power. You see um, cogs and wheels. You see um, Ormex discussing things as they're moving conduit and as they're plugging in this and unplugging that. You see Sydney is there, older now, graying at the temples, but she is helping to direct some of this work. Um, you see, as you come into this room, you see that there is a table. And on this table, Pine and Nari and Roos and Richter, you see a very familiar little box with conduit coming out of it and you see that the Ormex have taken one of those jars discovered deep beneath the water in Adrius by the JV squad years before and they carefully take this jar and they crack it open 
and they sprinkle the dust and ash over this box. There is a lid that is brought down over the top, covering the dust and the box from view. Ormex begin flipping switches, crystals power up, you can hear cogs whirring, and you can hear the whine of gears. It is all very high-tech, very smooth, but there's still this static, this noise, this power coursing through the Kilava right now. After what must be 40 minutes of you sitting there hearing this power, it seems that no one is breathing. When suddenly the power dies down. Crystals that were used in this machine have turned gray and lifeless. Some have shattered as their power has been sucked away. And a lid is lifted up off of this table. And upon the table you see feathers. Beautiful plumage. You see a figure, you see a body that sits up and looks at all of you. And that figure opens its mouth and says, Salutations. Thank you guys for playing the Crystal Codex campaign. I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> you guys, just thank you for playing and thank you for listening. We will be back next week. And until next time, we hope you have... Can I wipe my tears first? I mean, come on. I mean, wipe your tears. Anybody who's crying. Uh... <sighs> We hope you have a great time.